Welcome to the Radio Plasma podcast, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com, also available on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. Today, we're going to talk about information, about how the information that it should be always free also needs to be accurate. And for that purpose today, we have a very special guest, someone who has a extended experience as a journalist and also is an advocate of the truth. I want to welcome to Radio Plasma, Natalia Munoz. Thank you, Johan. Thank you very much. It is really an honor and a privilege to have you sharing with us your, your thoughts, your experience, your knowledge about journalism and about many issues that are concerning right now for our community, our society, especially on these times where fake news, it became an issue, it became a thing and not in a good way. So we are gonna talk about that in a few moments. But first of all, let's talk about you. Let's get to know Natalia. <laughs> so you are a journalist, uh, a really experienced journalist for many years, and you have a very interesting background. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, I stumbled into journalism in my early 20s. Uh, for many years, I did um, different jobs. I uh, was a dishwasher at uh, different restaurants. I, I was a gas station attendant. I cleaned houses. Um, I painted people's apartments. Uh, and just one day, I saw there was an ad in the, in the newspaper. The newspaper was looking for a proofreader. And I didn't know what a proofreader was. I had to look it up in the dictionary. And once I, I read, oh, that just means that you read what people have written and then you, you correct it if there's a mistake. And I have this superpower. One is that I can smell anything from anywhere. If someone three cars ahead of me has been smoking, I can smell that. The other superpower I have is that I can catch mistakes, uh, writing mistakes, very easily. And um, I thought, well, this is, a, this is a lucky break. So I applied. I was given the job. And that's how I started my journalism career, reading the newspaper stories. And I found it fascinating to read every single day a little piece of history from different p points of view, but all based on facts. So say there was a, a concert. Well, I would read a review of that concert, but there were certain facts. Who was the singer? That person's name, you know, you couldn't make it up. It was that person. There were five people in the band. It was held at a X Auditorium. They played 15 songs. Those are basic facts. How they presented the, the music, that was open to interpretation. And I think what's happened now, if, I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, is that we have become a society that thinks that everything is open to interpretation, and it's not. There are certain facts in life. One is the sun rises every day. It doesn't matter if it's a cloudy day, the sun is still out. It doesn't matter if it's nighttime. Somewhere in the world, it is daytime. The sun is out. And I think in our, in our fascination with wanting to take shortcuts in, on social media to say we like something that somebody put, instead of reading the article they're recommending, instead of watching the video that they're sharing, we just want to tell our friend, I like that you're sharing that, whatever it is. And what we saw in this recent election cycle 
was a lot of fake news, a lot of made-up stories. It wasn't opinion. It was literally made up. I come from a journalism where you, <laughs> you check and you double-check. You, you call the person you're going to interview. You meet with them. You make sure that you have your facts straight, the who, what, when, where, how. Then after that, it goes to another editor who reads it. That's the proofreader. To make sure that there are no spelling errors, it goes to an editor who may have more questions, like we need a little bit more information about the how or the where or who. Why don't you get some more information about that? And then, so right there, you already, you already have two people who are reading it after you. We are living at a time where journalists, basically, they interview and they put it online. And there's no fact checking. When I worked at Latina Magazine, which is a national magazine based out of New York City, our articles went through five or seven edits. In other words, five or seven people read the same article. And so in those five or seven edits or turns, we caught uh, typos, we caught mistakes in, of fact that maybe the author had said something had happened on January 20th when in fact it happened on January 21st. Those are details that matter. Every detail matters. So if I can continue, the journalism that I come from is very di different from the journalism that's being practiced now. And it's very discouraging because we're not getting the right information. And now we have a president who lies. And when he was lying as a candidate, far too many people, including journalists in national uh, media, would just reprint or just retell the lie without challenging it or without challenging him, without asking him, well, where did you get that information? And then he would just change the subject and say something else that was outrageous. And then the journalist would, would follow that line. It was the kind of, uh, he's, a, he's a master at confusing the issue. And I think it's only now, in, in these past few days, these last days of January, that the media is finally catching on on how to cover this new president and how to write the headlines, how to talk about him on television, on radio, and to not just repeat what he said, but repeat what he said and then immediately say what he said is, has no basis in fact. And that is something we can identify as a phenomenon of recent times, I guess. Once the internet became a tool for all media outlets to integrate different approaches to information, not only the dedicated type of media they were working with, and I'm talking about when TV channels needed to include a web presence, or when radio stations needed to start including images or video for, again, the web presence. Then the media became this multi-platform outlet that started to create opportunities, but at the same time, problems with the competition for being the first, to being the more flashy, to being the one covering the most issues without verifying the information without even having good sources. You're, you're absolutely right. The multi-platform point that you just made, it magnifies the, the false information because now you, it's not just on social media, it's online, it's on television, it gets into print. Though in journalism, there's always been, unfortunately, a propensity to have the journalism that's made up. Like there's a, you know, the National Enquirer, for instance, 
in the, the early 20th, 20th century, Randolph Hearst owned a newspaper, owned many newspapers, and he needed to raise circulation. And he, so he started a, he helped start a splendid little war, the Spanish-American War in 1898, which resulted in Puerto Rico and us Puerto Ricans being part of the United States. So he exaggerated an incident that happened. He had his reporters invent information to get people on different sides of the Spanish-American War all upset and trigger that war. Journalism is a very powerful institution. We have to treat it with, with the kind of respect it hasn't had, as you pointed out, in these recent times with social media, with internet, it's great. So much is accessible. But so are the falsehoods. And unfortunately, a lot of people fall for the falsehoods. That leads all of us into trouble. Fake news, it's been there forever since information started to be a need to be shared with the, with the people. Because, like you mentioned, uh, the National Enquirer or other tabloid format of, of newspaper or even shows for different platforms on radio, TV, and web as well, it's all about creating this gossip or this sense of urgency towards issues that are totally relevant just to get people to look for more, to consume that medium in particular. I don't, you know, maybe you know the answer to this, Ete Johang. Why are media so uh, focused on being the first one to say something? Why does that matter anymore? I believe at the end it's just, just because of the business they are. They don't see journalism anymore as a, as a respectable and very delicate area of work. I believe it's just a, another business. Because what does it matter if your program or your newspaper comes out with a piece of news first versus, say, mine, if yours is made up or if mine is made up or, you know, people won't give up on a media from one moment to another if they, if they get something out first. I don't think people are saying, oh, did you see that thing on CNN? CNN is the first one to come out with everything. When CNN first came out, you remember, they were a 24-hour news network. Mm -hmm. It was radical. It was extraordinary. Any time of day, you could tune into CNN and get information on what was happening in the nation and in the world. And then several years later, we started realizing, oh my goodness, they're repeating the news over and over and over. And now they are standing with a microphone on a street corner saying, well, nothing has happened here yet, but we think that a police cruiser with so-and-so who has been arrested is going to pass by. We're not sure. And that becomes <laughs> an issue, and that becomes a reason for many people to get worried, to get uncomfortable, angry, to have reactions, over-exaggerated reactions to that fact that is not, and something happens as a consequence of it. You're right. The, when you speak about the emotional reaction that we have as a society, it seems that a lot of us are having this angst, this anxiety, and this anger, and we're making decisions based on that, and not making decisions based on clear thinking. And I'm wondering, and maybe you know this, why is the media, why does the, the when I say the media, I'm talking about national media. I think local media is much more responsible because we all live here. I think it's a lot easier to just put out something in a national media outlet, whether it's cable news or, or an online or a, a newspaper, what is the purpose in making us anxious and making and giving us angst? 
Why do they want us to make decisions based on that? It's almost like they want us to become addicted to that emotion of, I need to know now because if I don't know now what the next newest thing is, I'm going to be in the dark. I'm going to be behind. I'm going to lose out on something, which is not true. I believe it is the way the story is told. And again, going after certain formats already established, for example, the, the format for reality TV that is all staged, but gives you this feeling that everything is happening spontaneously. And then you want to keep following up what happens next just because you have nothing better to do and you take this joy from seeing other people having arguments and fighting or even suffering through issues that are totally relevant superficial but that sells that keeps people sitting in front of the television for hours for hours at a time watching other people's lives unfold as if it was something unplanned, when like you said, it is planned. These reality shows, the only thing real about them is that those really are people. But everything else that happens, the producer, the people who are behind the scenes say, okay, so you're gonna prepare this meal and then it'd be good if you have some tension between you, you know, when you're, you know, maybe you say you want spaghetti and the other person says, no, I want meatloaf and let's create tension. Because of course, stories need arcs. Stories need conflict, need tension, just like movies. But the movies that, that are most compelling are the ones where we don't know what's going to happen. And we're kind of in that uncomfortable place, waiting for, to find out what happens. But I think with all the information we have at hand, through our phones, through the computers, you know, whether we have access to internet or not, through the libraries, people can get internet. And that is still a free service and a, and a fantastic service. I don't know why we are not smarter for it. We are not more thoughtful as a people for it. I think it is because information has, be we are taking it for granted. Like you mentioned, libraries and maybe at home, I remember the encyclopedia was the source for most of the questions that I have, if it was for homework or something that I maybe heard during a conversation or something that I saw on a TV or in a movie. And I asked my parents about it, and if we didn't got a clear way to know or understand, well, let's check the encyclopedia. So we had some sources, and those sources needed to be reliable. Right now, are not even official sources anymore. At some level, it is okay. I believe it is a great thing that we can have many different options, but if they are not sources, they are just sharing an opinion. And that's okay, but we cannot take an opinion as an official statement for something that is not being proved, that is not being verified, that, it, that hasn't been checked and vetted, as something that we can say this is official, this is the truth, the absolute truth, even though there is no such thing as, uh, as an absolute truth on anything. No, the sun though. does rise. Well, the sun <laughs> rises, true. So maybe this is the problem when we have that many possibilities to look for information that we don't even care about looking for the right one. Well, that says, I think it's true what you're saying, and I think that reflects so poorly on us as a people. That I don't know if it's laziness, I don't know if it's we're just overwhelmed, we're just trying to just get through the day, you know, however we can get through it. I don't know if it's these 
so-called smartphones where it's so easy to not, I mean, they're just basically, as, as we know, they're just computers that we hold in our hand and they're also telephones and their cameras and their video cameras and their radio stations. They're, it's everything right there in the palm of your hand that we as a human race, or at least in the countries where there is this access to the smartphones and to the internet, we weren't really prepared for all the things this small apparatus could do. We weren't prepared as a society to be responsible with it. I don't want to compare, I mean, the thought that comes to mind is, um, is something terrible, like it's like being handed a bomb and then, you, you know, it blows up. I don't, that just sounds, you know, that's such a violent, awful image, but it just happened so quickly. One day we were sending faxes, you know, and then we had those computers that looked like like E.T.'s head, you know, those very deep, if they, with the big screen, the yellow, or no, the, the green. Yeah, the monochromatic the, screen. Si, exacto. <laughs> and then it seemed that within a couple of years, now we were on Internet. And within a year or two of that, there were all these websites. And then within a year or two of that, here we are. And there's the smartphone. And then there are these the laptops, the computers, the tablets all these ways to stay connected to one another and to stay connected to sources of information. But we're not necessarily learning anything valuable that is good for us. We're just sort of like liking things and passing information on. And I keep, I keep coming back to the election. I keep going back to the primaries. How did, if it's okay if I get a little bit political here, of course. how did Trump become the successful candidate for the Republican Party? How did he then become the president of the United States? Someone who lies for a living. Someone who we all know lies. We know about how many times he's had to file for bankruptcy. We know that he has not paid bills. We know that he's left craftsmen, he's left blue-collar people without paychecks that they deserve for having built his hotels, his casinos. We know the things that he has said that have been so disrespectful, that have been so odious. It's been bigotry. How in the world did he become president? And I think he became president because people just were amused by him. And he was an exciting figure to see on television. And every time he insulted people, for a lot of people, that became, yeah, that, they, it made them feel good. They weren't feeling angst anymore because he was feeling the angst. And he was saying terrible things. And now here he is. I believe a president should be the teacher-in-chief. And who we have as a teacher-in-chief is someone who teaches bullying, who teaches prejudice, who teaches hate. And that is so unfortunate for all of us, and, and all of us in the world. Anyway, this is a terrible thing that has happened in the information age, in the digital age. What should have happened in the digital age is that we should have been able to select the most prepared, the smartest person, whoever that person may have been, to become president, not, not Donald Trump. Especially when that way of conducting his campaign and now his government, it is all based on, yeah, on that hatred, on that agenda, which is becoming clear more than ever for everyone, and still has the support of people. That is something that is going to take possibly four years to understand. Can I talk about your t-shirt? Absolutely. So, just, just so you know, and this is because uh, of the after effect of the 
of what happened yesterday when he actually signed uh, the approval for creating the wall, dividing the border between Mexico and USA. So today I'm wearing a T-shirt that says, I just look illegal. Mm -hmm. And people who have dark skin and all those hues, yes, you are all in danger. And that's what he has created. And that's a terrible thing. It's, it's, it's so terrible, and yet the national media is not still, this has not yet figured out how to say what a state of terror this man has created for people who have, you know, in English there doesn't exist all these shades of trigueño y canela and just, to black. And it's always been terrible. He's just made it worse. He's made it okay for people then to bully others. Whereas before, there were always people who were going to bully and they were going to commit atrocities against other people. But now he has made it, people who, who maybe held back before, now are not holding back. And it's almost as if he has legalized hatred. After this country has spent centuries trying to get away from how it began on the massacre of the indigenous people on the enslavement of black people. It's been such a difficult journey to create a more perfect union, and we're not there yet at all. But this new president has set it back. That march towards a more perfect union, he has set us back a long ways. So when I look at your T-shirt that says, I just look illegal, on one hand, it makes me smile, but on another, to me, it's a form of protection of, no, 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 I belong here. And I would even say, even if people don't have a visa or a green card to be here, they belong here. People belong where they want to be. I believe that. I'm just this month, I'm leaving the, the Human Rights Commission, uh, which mm -hmm. I was chair in Northampton. And one of the tenets of, the, of human rights and the human rights, the Declaration of Human Rights was created in 1948 by the United Nations. And one of its tenets is that people have a right to live where they want to live. And people have a right to live in a secure place. And right now, this president has made the whole of the United States and parts of the world even more insecure, even more dangerous to people. And I find that it's a, a reprehensible. And again, how in the world did this happen in the digital age? The age when we have all this information, how did this happen? It's upside down. I want to bring, now that we are making this open questions and situations we are experiencing, just when the first White House press conference took place, and this statement saying that the inauguration was the most attended presidents in the history period, when it is clear that is a lie. My thought on that is, why all of a sudden, after days before that when Trump got elected and offered his first press conference and then he told CNN, you are fake news, I'm not going to answer a question from you. If the press is being treated this way, do you have to keep covering the White House issues after being treated like that on your first approach? Well. That's interesting because I, I, have been, I have been asking myself that question, how to cover this president? And, and another journalist came up with, with, this, with this solution. Let's not cover this president in real time. Let's just show up when he has a press conference. It won't be live, and he'll say what he's going to say, and then 
We go to our investigative team and our different media outlets, and we verify are the things that he says, are they true or not? And then we write those different stories. We present those different stories. When his press secretary wants to come out and scold the media for saying that not there weren't nearly as many people for his inauguration as there were for uh, the outgoing President Obama's inauguration in 2008, that's an opportunity to tell the press secretary, you can say all the lies you want, but we're just going to say to our public, you're lying. We're going to call a lie a lie. We're not going to call it a falsehood. We're going to say embustero. We're going to say you are a liar. We're going to say liar, liar, pants on fire. And the media cannot give, should not give liars forums to spew their lies unfiltered. The media has to filter this administration. And that means you show up and you take down, you take your notes, what are, what are they saying, and then you verify it. And also, I think, the media, especially the national media, I've been saying, stop inviting those liars to your programs. They don't even answer the questions. So, you know, in real life, you have to answer a question, you know? If they, locally, you don't get to just change the subject if you don't like what the question was. That's the same measure that these other media outlets have to be held to, that same standard of, this was the question, you have to answer it, and if you don't want to answer it, that's fine, then just say you don't want to answer it, but don't lie. And if you're gonna lie, I'm gonna call out that lie. And if you're just gonna keep lying so that you never answer the question, then I'm gonna say, I'm not gonna invite you to my program anymore because every time I invite you, you just make up stuff. And we're not here for that. We're not your, your bridge for you to, your media outlet for you to say what you wanna say that's not true. We're here to ask you questions on behalf of the nation. That's our sacred role as a national media or as local media. So if I, were, if I were king of the media, I would tell all the media outlets, stop inviting Kellyanne Conway, who's the... <laughs> the, the yeah, the author of The Alternative Facts. Yeah, right. <laughs> and say, no, Kellyanne, you can't come on my program anymore. No. And, uh, and other people like her, no. And I would stop with the punditry that I've seen on CNN of all these people talking to each other, but they don't really know what are people on the street saying? What are mm-hmm. they feeling? Because when you have these people who are all in the same club, then saying, well, the American people think this and the American people think that. And I think, well, how do you know? Because you're always on television. I, I don't see you living your life <laughs> with the rest of us. It's like they're in a bubble. Mm-hmm. It's like the Washington, D.C. bubble. It's the cable news bubble. And um, that's why, you know, when I personally, for my news, I go to the PBS NewsHour. I find that their reporting is very good. They're very rigorous. They just don't let anyone say whatever they're going to say without challenging it, and they insist on an answer to the questions. And when they do have opinions, there's always a section for these two guys to um, state their perspectives. They're informed perspectives. They're not these emotional reactions. They're based on facts. Now that you mentioned PBS, and this brings another issue that is a really concerning one for media and many other aspects that includes the arts, the education, and the opportunity for people to get options to look for, especially when it comes to being informed, well-informed, it is this possibility that the National Endowment for the Arts, along with the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, are possibly going to be eliminated from the view, which means public access media could be long gone. 
And if not, it's going to definitely be under the control of the state in ways that historically we have seen in other countries happening and we know how that goes. What do you think we need to do as people who are communicating, especially when we have local forums for this? What do you think should be our mission seeing this possibility to happen? Well, one of the things that we can do is to share with each other, well, where do you get your information and why do you like that information source? Alternative to what people have been doing already, whatever it's, whether it's MSNBC or CNN or any national online, we need to share more of that and we need to encourage people to do participate more in what's happening in our local community. And what to me what that means is we volunteer, we show up, you know, there may be an agency that needs volunteers and if you have time, then volunteer. We need to also listen to one another better and not with the idea that we have to agree. And that if we don't agree, that must mean that, you know, everybody's a monster except me and I'm the only one who's right. That went on for a long time during the primaries. The primaries were very divisive, not only in the Republican Party, but also in the Democratic Party. And those wounds are still open in the Democratic Party with the, the primaries that were between the, the Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. We have to agree that we're in grave danger. And so what are we going to do about it in our own community and not wait for somebody else to do something? It's like, if we have an idea about what we want to see done, well, let's, see, let's find out how we can do it. And an example of this is the other day I read in my newspaper that the state Senate president, Stan Rosenberg of Amherst, wants to give himself and other top leaders in government a 40% pay raise, 40%. And to me, bueno, I talked about it, but I also, I shared it on media, but not just the article, I wrote something about it. And basically saying, he's blurring the lines between the Democratic Party and Trump. What makes him any different than from Trump when he wants a 40% pay raise? When most people barely can make it, and he's asking for 40% more for himself and other top government people like the attorney general, the governor, and the, the speaker of the house. So it's not just speaking about it in our social media and sharing our point of view. It's also, I called him. I found out what's his number. So I called him, and, and I got his voicemail at his office, and I left him a message saying, I hope you reconsider because a 40% pay raise is outrageous. And you saying that, and I quoted him, fair-minded people will, will see it his way is insulting. I'm a fair-minded person, and I don't think that I see it from your point of view at all. The country is suffering. And now, on top of us having to deal with this hateful guy in the White House, you want a 40% pay raise? So I think being involved is important and calling people up. You know, it's great, the online petitions that we can all sign, but I've been hearing a lot of politicians say they prefer to get a phone call. They prefer to get a real letter. They prefer somebody to go to their field office, their office, wherever it, it is. Here in Holyoke State, Rep. Aaron Vega has an office. It is city councilors, uh, wherever um, they may be is to have that contact. Let's stop with the, como se dice, the emoji cons, the emojis? Yeah, the emojis. Let's stop with the emojis. Let's stop with the likes and the thumbs up or the thumbs down, and let's pick up the phone and call the person who represents us and tell them, 
I don't agree with you on this or I agree with you on that. Thank you for doing that. And let's hold each other accountable for what we're doing. So if we hear someone in, in the media repeating something that we know that is, turns out that is not true, let's call them on it. You know, you can't necessarily pick up the phone, say, and call uh, MSNBC, but you can certainly write a letter to MSNBC or you can tweet directly to that person or fa on Facebook. Like, let's use the social media for good, not to insult one another, but to hold each other to a higher standard because our standards fell to the ground in these past few years. And I'm still in shock about November 8th. I don't know about you, but I have not recovered from November 8th. As a matter of fact, I posted another T-shirt wearing that day. Mm -hmm. uh, it only says no. <laughs> and it's still today being there my front, my front yeah. picture because, yeah, it's that denial still ongoing. So basically, I could take this as saying we need to stop being virtual about the activism we try to do and become more organic, meaning we have to be present, we have to be there, we have to take action that is tangible, not just clicking buttons or putting emoticons. We need to, to do the job. Yes, and you said it so much better than I did in far fewer words. <laughs> exactly, exactly what you say. Echo that many, many times. What do you think, on the other hand, especially seeing uh, and taking this uh, suggestion you just made about utilizing social media for a more beneficial purpose, encouraging people to take over the media and create their own sources or their own outlets, pretty much emulating this very space we are doing right now as a podcast, I guess that could be another way for people to start creating those alternative you, exactly, exactly. And there are some people who have blogs and they are excellent journalists. And you read their stories on, on their blogs, they on their websites. And as you're reading the story, you see they called the mayor's office and this is what the mayor's office told them. Or they're quoting from a press release. They're being responsible journalists. It's almost like anybody can be a journalist, but to be a good journalist, you have to be responsible with the information that you're sharing. It's like, well, you, know, you know, anybody can paint the wall, but there are actually people who know how to paint the wall very, very well. And then there are people like me who do not know how to paint the wall well. And ever since the smartphone, everybody thinks that, oh, I'll just take a video, or I'll just record, or I'll just do, do a blog, and that's all great. And it's necessary for people's voices to be out there. But when they're relating stories, when they're sharing stories, not about themselves, but about situations or events, then they, I believe we need to raise the bar. If you want to be a digital journalist, excellent. That's fantastic. But you got to do your who, what, when, where, how, why. And it should not be based just on your opinion. It has to be based on facts. So how can we identify, and then uh, asking you as a journalist, how do you identify a fake news? Ooh. I was actually uh, taken by, uh, what's the word? I was fooled a, a few times on social media that I actually clicked on stories with headlines that led me to a site that reading two or three paragraphs, I realized, no, 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 this is a rant. This is not a story based on facts. This is somebody's opinion, and it's fine to have an opinion, but it was presented as a fact. I look at the web address. I... Also, and it can be, it's not to say that some web addresses are better than others, but some, when you look at their, the name of the domain name, 
you know, which could be something, I'm making this up, I love Trump.com. And then if it's a story on how much the Democratic Party is terrible, well, then I'm going to question, well, their website is, you know, I love Trump.com. So maybe that's why they have a problem with the Democratic Party. I think, as an aside, as a Democrat, I also have problems with the Democratic Party. But how to identify, I think it's a reading. You have to read a lot. It's not just listening, it's also reading. And when you suspect that you're not getting it, you're not getting information that's based on facts, then identify for what it is, it's an opinion. And when information is being presented as facts, because there's a lot of that also, the way you find out that it's not true is because then you're checking, you're checking that subject. Then go Google that subject and see what other sites are writing about that. And if there are different versions of that, then that's also a clue. I'm trying to think as I'm talking with you, a very, a very recent example that a website said, uh, there was a headline on social media, on Facebook, that said something, and I clicked, and then I realized, oh, this is not even a real place. This is not a legitimate site. But because a friend of mine had put it on their social media, I trust my friend. So I clicked, and then in reading, I realized, no, this is not a real site, a legitimate site. So I went back to social media, to my friend's the post, and said, this is a fake news site. This is not true. They're saying things that are not true. And I checked because then I Googled the topic and could see that the quote was not accurate. The context was wrong. It takes work, in other words, because you're just reading it. So yeah, but there's no easy way to do it. If you, do you know of an easy way to know if you're looking at a fake news? Pretty much is similar to the steps you just indicated. So yeah, it is paying attention to everything. And that, I guess, comes together with having a discipline of being well-informed, not only from one or two or even three sources. You have to check as many possible, so that way you can identify those trends and those tendencies from certain styles, because that's another thing, the style of different journalists and different outlets, different platforms on how they cover or they create their content that gives you a little little clues of what can you expect from that problem right now i guess is especially when it's online content i will say even from established media 95 percent, and i'm making it up but it's just based on my personal experience it's just clickbait mm -hmm. something for you to click to see what's this all about mm -hmm. not even because if it is true maybe i already know this is going to be something that i'm going to regret clicking it mm -hmm. but just let's see what it is i don't do that anymore because i know every time you click on those links, mm -hmm. you are contributing for them to get more profitable because then they can show to any potential investors or for advertisement purposes, see how many people are being reached out uh, by our clickbait mm -hmm. made up stories mm -hmm. or not accurate stories. Mm -hmm. So I will go for that. I will go for uh, checking the headline. What is the purpose of this one? What can I get from it? If the story, it is actually, like you said, it's just a rant, it is just a comment, it's an opinion, or it's actually giving me facts and giving me information, not an opinion or, or a tendency. Sometimes rants are good. Sometimes, I mean, for me, sometimes I like reading somebody else's rant. But here's an example. I read a headline the other day that said, the Clinton Foundation is going to close. And I was like, what? That foundation has hundreds of millions of dollars that does good work nationally and internationally that philanthropic 
organizations point to the Clinton Foundation and say that foundation is run extremely well. They use their money wisely. They are really making a positive impact on people's lives. And I was just, wait, I clicked. And it turned out, wait, as I was reading, it was just like, no, this is not happening. So then I Googled Clinton Foundation, and then I clicked on news, and there was nothing. There was, it was old news. It was just that, that one fake news a headline that I saw. It's when something just sounds just like, wow, this is, this is too much. This, I just double check. I believe the best example for that is the common hoaxes that we, we see pretty much every now and then when someone died. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh my goodness, someone died and they share it and rest in peace and yeah. do interviews <laughs> and they don't even check yeah. or, you know, check with two, three, four different sources to see it is true, it is official, it's been confirmed. Who said this? Yeah. And then even you realize sometimes it is exactly word by word the same reporting. So you can say, oh, this is a copy paste. So it may not be true. That's right. Or let's wait a few more minutes to see another version or a confirmation, an official source saying, yeah, this happened. Yeah. yeah. Somebody died. And then you can mourn accordingly. Yeah. Because how many times this happened? It's happened a lot. And um, I think that we have learned a hard lesson with Trump's presidency is to question everything. And that doesn't mean you question the established media, but maybe you question how they do their stories. And then you write to them. You write a letter to the editor. You send them a message that the article, and they want to hear back because they have the comment section. And they, some, in some outlets, uh, media outlets even have uh, people who are there, the public editor, that's where the public writes to when they have a, a concern. We just have to work. It's like we can't just be, just give it all to me Bring it, you know, bring it to me. We have to be active participants now. It's not enough to just take in the information. We have to question it. We have to verify it. But that doesn't mean that we say something is fake, like Donald Trump says, just because he doesn't like the fact, and as he did with the inauguration. He didn't like the fact that the media said not that many people went in comparison to Obama, so then he called out CNN for being fake. That is not true. CNN is not a good media outlet for me, I think they sensationalize a lot, but, but they were truthful on the attendance to his inauguration. It was far less uh, in comparison to President Obama's. For anyone in the audience that is interested in knowing more about your work or even having questions because maybe they want to take journalism and as something for them to do, how can they reach to you? It's very simple. It's just go to nataliamunoz.com. <laughs> it's my first name, my last name, .com. And also, uh, I want to remind, uh, if you don't uh, listen to her show, Vaya con Muñoz, it's aired on WHMP 96.9 and 1400 AM every Wednesday and Saturdays. Yes, uh, 9.45 in the morning. Yes, and at 10 in the morning on Saturdays. Thank you. And what are, what are the topics that you usually cover on your... What we're talking about right now. I, very, it's, just, it's the same topic we've been talking about. Earlier, and also I interviewed the new president of Holyoke Community College. I love having conversations, just as we're having, with people on what is happening now. What will be your advice for not only the future journalists, but the ones right now that maybe they need that little boost of confidence or a little guidance? Journalism is, is hard work. It's, it's a lot of fun. And if you're curious, you'll find your way 
as a journalist, as long as you're curious to them as well as not just that the person you're speaking with, but then to to verify the facts, to, to double check, to make sure you're getting the information right. Because it's like anything. People can say, oh, there was a car accident on Main Street. Oh, what happened? The car was on fire. And then somebody else says, no, there was nothing. It was just a, you know, a bumper. Bumpy. Yeah. So we, we have to verify our facts, make sure we, we get it right. And yeah, sometimes it'll take you a little bit longer than to put the story together. But the reward is you wrote a piece of history. And that is so important. You wrote a piece of history, whether you broadcast it, whether you, it was published in, you know, online or in a newspaper, wherever. You are part of history. It's a huge honor and responsibility. It's, it's very humbling. Well, Natalia, I, I feel really honored and glad. I feel honored. Having, Thank you. Having this opportunity to talk to you about this important issues and matters. I believe that this is a conversation that we, we needed to have. And also, I want to invite anyone in the audience, if they want to follow up on this conversation, they can reach out to you at nataliamunoz.com mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and also through our website, radioplasma.com, because this definitely is something that we can follow up and continue discussing as other things, I'm sure, will unfold with this phenomenon of how media needs to be more careful about everything that is happening in the United States and, of course, in the world in general with this technology that is changing, making us change, and we need to be prepared for it. See, sí, you're absolutely right. And thank you for inviting me to this fascinating conversation. Well, that was Natalia Munoz in our special edition of Radio Plasma Podcast. And this episode was produced at the Plasma Media Lab at the Gandhara Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Remember that you can listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, also radioplasma.com. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. Thank you for listening. <laughs>